Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. The scripture I'll be reading is from the New King James Version, Acts chapter 10, verses 30 through 33. So Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in a house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Good to see you back. What Paul was saying is true about this being a unique day, and it's unique in in my own philosophy about preaching and about our worship, uh, our worship shouldn't be centered around visitors as a matter of general practice. What, what we should be doing is making visitors feel welcome. But what would happen if every week you centered around the visitors? What, what could happen is that you, you might diminish the, the meat of the word because you'd reason, well, they're, they're not ready for that. And, and what would happen is that you would diminish from the hold, and you don't want to do that. Having said that, I think it's a great idea that we, that we once in a while take a day like this and we center around the visitors and we put this kind of emphasis uh, on, on them. And I was, I was thinking about how to wind up the day, and I'm really not going to preach a long time. I mean, I don't think. And so uh, several days ago, I approached a couple in the church who have been with us for about three years. Uh, they, they, they were reared in different religions from one another and different from us here. And so they have roots in, in those kinds of areas. They were converted. They became members. They are faithful and strong members, and we all love them today. And that's, you know, that's what you want. That's what you're looking for. And so I, I went to them and I said, I want you to sit down, each of you, and, and write out for me and email it to me or whatever. Uh, what was it when you got introduced to this church that drew you in? What was it after you started liking people, liking being here, that solidified that? And now you're glued down and you're very important members of this church and you're very active and we love you and it's great. You're glued down. So what, uh, tell me the things that made that happen. Well, the, the wife produced hers very quickly. Husband, a lot slower, which I'm just teasing him. But, but what was interesting was to see the differences in their answers. They didn't contradict one another. Their perspective, in some cases, was a little bit different. In some cases, they would name the same things, and both of those were interesting to me. 
I want to learn something from this. I want us to learn something from this. And that's the reason I'm bringing this. So I have, um, let's see, I have five or six of them. I have six. And then I, then I want to make some reminders about where we are today with our visitors and things, things I want us to do, encourage you to do. So here's the first one. I'm going to get a slide up. There we go. I'm just going to use one or two words for the slides. Uh, the first one was that it was welcoming. That's a broad term. Here's a quote. I can start by letting you know how welcomed we felt. People offered to help us. Some asked us for lunch in their home. Both the husband and wife, by the way, mentioned this one. Isn't that interesting? Both of them, when making this list, said they let ask us to come to their house. And they found that very appealing. Glenn met, we, met with me for Bible classes on Sunday, just the two of us, for a series of Sundays. And we talked and we studied for several weeks. And I will tell you that Paul has done this many times with people. The elders have done this many times with people where we're still having an auditorium class here, but one of us is back there in a room just with one person. And, and there's a beauty to that. There's a very uh, pragmatic reason for that. Uh, you, you talk about what that person needs to talk about, and you can focus it on that. And so it's very healthy. What I want to encourage in this point is that we remember our contact points with visitors. Now, by contact points, well, you'll know what I mean. The parking lot is the first one. And so when you see someone in the parking lot who you don't recognize uh, at a worship assembly, you pull in, I want, your, I want your eyes to scan the lot all around you. And when you see somebody that's strange, uh, a stranger to you, find them. Go to them and say... Uh, I'm so-and-so, and I, listen, uh, we're glad to have you all today. It's good to see you. And it could be that they're saying, they'll say, well, this is, we're, we're family members of so-and-so. Oh, that's great. Well, I'll tell you where they sit. I know right where they sit or, or whatever. The second contact point would be the entry when they're coming in. We always have people posted at the doors. It would do us all good to watch the doors as we just walk by them. For people that may, what if, what if you walk by a door and somebody has just entered and you can tell that they're visitors? How long should it be? I mean, they're greeted at the door, but how long should it be that they get into our building before somebody else grabs hold of them and says, we're glad to have you. It's good to see you. My name is whatever. How long should it be? It shouldn't be long. And I'll tell you something else too. It's a terrible thing for visitors to pass by a number of members of the church and nobody speaks. I'm saying that not because, I don't know, I guess Cindy and I have experienced it, not very much, but, but because of our circumstance, I'm a preacher, but uh, it is not uncommon for people to say to me, we visited this congregation and we were around a lot of people and nobody talked to us. Now, I don't know where you're sitting right now if that affects you, but I can promise you it affects those people who are visiting our assembly. And I, I'm... I don't want to overstate this. I'm just not so sure that those people hear much of the sermon if, if they feel like this is not a welcoming place. So, uh, contact points. The parking lot and then the entry door, we need to catch them there. When they first come into the auditorium, this is not a tremendously large auditorium, but it's enough that when, when you enter it, it might be a little intimidating if you never had been here before. Could you catch them then if you see them come in one of these doors? And, and go up to introduce yourself. I know what you're nervous about. You're nervous that somebody's going to say, 
well, I've been coming here for 20 years, you know, whatever, but you're going to have to get over that. We just have to get over it. I, I know it's a little embarrassing because I do it often. Uh, don't, or I, sometimes I'll just say, do I know you? Have I met you? And you just get over it because we cannot, run the, we cannot afford to run the risk that anybody would, would enter these, these uh, premises in the West Huntsville Church of Christ and not walk away saying those people were really friendly. We just can't afford it. All right, uh, here's the next contact point. The auditorium seats near you. Is there somebody in your row or in the row in front of you who you don't know? When we get up in the, on Sunday mornings and we break for class, that's a big contact point. Do you know where your class is? Can I help you find a class? Do you know where a class is for your children? Can I help you with that? And then the departing. When, when the, everything is over, you've got to shake their hands. You've got to get to them and say, we're just so, today, today I'm sure this happened a lot. I know that I shook a lot of hands. We're so glad you came. Thank you for coming. I hope you enjoyed it and hope you'll come back. So catch them as they're exiting. Catch them and um, send them off with something that makes them happy. Or we meet again now, 5 o'clock tonight or 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. Or, by the way, I was just thinking that we have a class that we offer on this subject or that that might be something you'd really enjoy. And if you come back and you want to go to that class, I'll be happy to go with you. And we'll try it out. So the first one is that these folks mentioned had to do with things like that. People in this church were welcoming, even even to the point of saying, why don't you come to my house for lunch? Would you like that? And they did. And now here we are, three years hence, and they're faithful members of this congregation. And when they reflect on that time, you know what they say? These people ask us for lunch at their house. Was that a big deal? I'm, I'm asking you this question. Was that a big deal? It was a big deal. So... Drink it in. Here's the second one. It's about patience. I quote, I remember how patient and loving this church is with new Christians. Now, why would, why would a person in that position uh, be pleased with how patient people were? The things, the things of scripture, of doctrine, of practice with which you're familiar I'm familiar after many years. I, I was reared in the church of Christ. I, I've been preaching for 40 years. I don't mean that I know everything. I just mean that what may be extremely familiar to me may st- still be very strange to some other people. They just haven't gone through it and to know it and to study it and to learn it. Patience. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1. Brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as babes in Christ. He said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food because until now you weren't able to receive it. And of course, 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. And so we we just recognize that, and this is not looking down on anybody. You know, we all were there. This is is just to say, we're not going to rush you about this. We're not going to rush you. You, I I love... uh, I love to take Cindy at sometimes and get a nice steak. The way to eat a steak is medium. You don't want it either way, you know. You want it right in the middle. That's how I like to eat them. And you, we have little children, though. If you take one of our small, small children, 
and feed him or her a steak. They'll choke on that. They're not ready for that. Same thing is true about, about people and about faith. I, I told Ezra the other day, our grandson, I told him that as we were driving toward our street, he and I live on the same street, and I told him that I can remember all the years ago the first times that I drove to the West Huntsville building. I can remember the first times I drove to my house where we live, and we've lived all these years. And, and I, can, I can drive to my house now asleep. I don't even have to look. I know. My car knows how to get to my house. But it wasn't that way. And I can remember where I had to be careful about every turn. I had to calculate every turn on my paper that gave me the directions or my GPS or whatever I had because I didn't know where I was going. And it was all very unfamiliar to me. That's how it is. Of course it is with people who are, who are new. We've got to feed them. We've got to feed them one meal at the time. And know that they need patience. The third thing that they raised was this, the teaching. The teaching. Okay, we're going to be patient with you back there. Here's her quote. I made my tradition, I'm sorry, I made my transition from, and she named the religion she had been a part of, to becoming a member of the Church of Christ, to finally being baptized here, She said, um, being here and obeying the gospel, and she's describing all of that, definitely took my Christianity to a new level. He said this, I learned the importance of a conscious effort of baptism through complete immersion as an essential component to being saved. An essential component to being saved. You know how big that statement is? It's a huge statement. Because 90% of religions out there, probably 95, don't believe that. Do not believe that baptism is essential for salvation like the Bible says. It's what the Bible says. Anyway, he said that before, he, he just didn't get that. In general, this church and its members, let's see, I'm sorry. I learned the importance of a conscious effort of baptism through complete immersion as an essential component to being saved. This was not realized simply because it was church policy, but through critical analysis of the scriptures themselves. I never understood the real importance of being baptized until I was here. This is why I love fundamental sermons. I don't think that a church, this is is personal, but I, I don't think that you need to feed the church on fundamentals every sermon you need to, to branch out to, to more mature kinds of subjects. But, but at the same time, what we mustn't do ever in this pulpit is to forget the fundamentals. The, the reason this man said this is because he was fed the fundamentals. And we did it privately and, of course, publicly. And, and here you have this terrific statement that he made. I like Q&A. I like, I like it even though sometimes when we do Q&A, you have questions that have been asked before, and we repeat sometimes. If they're asked again, if, it has, if it's been any amount of time, I'll usually go ahead and answer it again. And the reason is that somebody's wondering about this, and we've got to continue the fundamentals. All right, number four. Steadily feeling more connected to Christians is what they mentioned. Quote, 
because I was embraced by West Huntsville, it encouraged me to embrace Christianity more strongly. In general, this church and its members have had a profound spiritual effect on me and the life of my family that I've never experienced, and I mean that sincerely. I think that when we got to Huntsville, we were only halfway to becoming true Christians, but through Bible study and going full circle to the place we are today. Quote, this church is truly like a family, and I know through thick and thin, everyone will support us. Listen, uh, what this day is about, at least in our public teaching and a lot of what we're doing, and certainly in what I'm doing this afternoon, is that we've got to walk in other people's shoes. Think, think, think about visitors when they get here. What is it that they see? Look through their eyes. What do they see? What do they hear? What are they walking away with? And what this is about in this one is that if they knew, they knew they had the support of Christians around them. Here's number five. Oversight. They were attracted by the fact that this is a place where there's oversight and accountability. Now, this one you may find strange because I think that there are lots of churches where accountability is sort of an offensive kind of concept. And, uh, and here, of course, it's not. But listen to this. Here's what she said or wrote. But good shepherds know we need accountability and occasionally correction on our path. This church is willing to do that in a loving, constructive way. I think that it is an imperative that many leaders lack in the current culture. However, it's alive and well here. And in my opinion, that's one of the best, most loving things about it. She's talking about accountability. He said, and I quote now, all content at the West Huntsville Church of Christ is based on the word of God. The elders of the church seek their authority for everything that we do strictly through careful analysis of Scripture. When I'm here, I'm content that I'm with a family of Christians who hold their faith to an absolute datum of New Testament teaching. Now, what is it that makes the correction of shepherds, of elders in the church, a positive thing and not a negative thing? Well, there's probably a lot of rather obvious answers to that. And one is that The men that we have selected to be our elders are good and honorable and compassionate, Bible-loving men, and they were that way before we selected them to be our elders. They were already that kind of man or men. And Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says that we're to obey them that have the rule over you and submit ourselves because they watch for our souls. Now, that's not a mean thing. That's a compassionate, loving thing. But then it adds this. It's our responsibility. He says that they may do what they do with joy and not with grief. Because that's unprofitable for you. Well, yeah, that makes sense. That's very practical. And I would say to you that that quotes like these, surely, I'm not an elder, but surely must make the elders very, very happy and gratified. So five is, is oversight. It's having oversight and accountability. And in the case, this is anecdotal, but in the case of these Christians, they were drawn by that. Here's the the last one I want to bring, and I'm going to close with some suggestions. Parenting help. He said this, and both of them made reference to this. He said, upon first arriving at the West Huntsville Church of Christ, we were immediately drawn by the children and how incredibly polite and respectful they were to our daughter, 
But the children, it was clear by their personalities that they had an established relationship with God at such a young age. You hear this? Can you hear this? It was obvious that their personalities were shaped by their New Testament upbringing in this church. And we were ecstatic about having the opportunity for her to continue her life here. I'm not just reading this to toot our horn. That is not the point. You know that's not the point. It's to draw our attention to what we could do better and to draw our attention to what we're doing that's good. And, and don't minimize the value. I think, that, I think the children and the teens in this church play a, a huge role in our evangelism. I think it was true today. Okay, just, just do this exercise with me. Go ahead and, 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 and in your mind, in your imagination, take them out. And how was today without them? Take them out. How do you picture it? And when people come, and, and you think about especially people with children, you know what people with children want to know in a church? They want to know what you're going to do with kids. And I don't mean just playing with them. I'm talking about parents who are serious, and they want their children to learn and to grow and to be strengthened. They want the church to help them to raise them. I don't mean that in a negative way, but they're looking for support. And, and that's, what, that's what people get here. She said this, Also, it had a profound effect on our teen in the most positive way. If I'm embarrassing anybody, I'm really sorry. The youth at this church are all great kids, A is in caps, with great parents. Both our daughter and myself trust the other parents. A beautiful thing about this church is the respect the parents have among each other to care for all the children and to guide them as collective. What that means, I think, is that if any of us saw one of the children acting up, we wouldn't you know, hesitate to say, straighten up, you straighten that up. And sometimes we say, slow down, you're going too fast. Don't break an old person, right? All right, I hope you've enjoyed that list. I'm gonna, what I want to do is talk about some gentle reminders, and then we'll close. But I hope you enjoyed that list as much as, as I have. I loved it. I, uh, I have been encouraged by it. And I want to thank the folks for helping me to create this. Suggestions. I want to urge you to contact the people who came from your invitation today right away this evening, tomorrow, and just say hi and thank them for coming and, and see if there's more interest there. Love to have you come back. Can we do lunch on Thursday or whatever? Bring them something when, you, when you're going to see them the next time. Uh, bring them um, something, maybe a tract or maybe <laughs> whatever, it is, some sort of a, a little momentum, momental, uh, uh, something, something from, anyway, from their visit. Bring them something. Be sure that you practice balance. Don't shine the light too, too bright in their eyes. Invite them from a, for a meal. If you think that there's interest there, then work to develop that relationship. The goal, the ultimate goal, is not just eating together more. The ultimate goal is to have a Bible study. The ultimate goal is to be close enough to them that they're willing to sit down with the book and talk to you about it. Next, when you see a visitor in worship, get over, as I was saying, get over the discomfort, just swallow it. Are you from around here? Hey, listen, now water fountains and restrooms are over here. And by the way, there's a class over here, or sometimes I'll say to people in the auditorium, 
in the morning when I come in. Now, now you can sit right in this same place for Bible study if you want to after worship because we'll have a good class in here. Emphasize to people who have children what we have for kids. That will draw people to this congregation. If you know a mom who has some small children, talk to her about about our children and our youth and what we do to help those children to grow in the Lord. Uh, I thought that, well, you know how much I love kids sing. And I think for, what if you were a parent with a small child and you came and you watched these children uh, talk out, out loud about that they know where things are in the Bible? How valuable is that? And where do you get it? Where are you going to get it? I mean, I don't, it's not rocket science. It's, it's, it's easy, of course, but it's just that we're taking the effort to teach them. Think of ways, there's number four on my list, think of ways that you're convicted that primitive Christianity will change this person's life for the better and, of course, their eternity. If a person, I've always felt that if a person could understand, this is just for example, why we don't use anything but congregational acapella singing. Look, I, I know that I was talking about that today. I know I preached about it last Sunday night. It's not because I think that that's the, the most major thing in all of learning Christianity. I don't. But I'll tell you this. If somebody understands the principles behind why we don't use instrumental music, they're going to understand a lot of things about biblical authority and about a, a strong biblical hermeneutic. Number five. We have a class that is, and I think a, a good word is perennial uh, class for new converts, a basic class for a returning visitor. And, and it's, uh, in fact, we have various different ways that we're doing it. But anytime we have somebody who is coming in at a very infant level, uh, we will make arrangements right then for a, a class that's ongoing, or if we need to, it makes more sense, we'll just create a private class for that person to grow that person in a way that will be patient and kind and introspective and hopefully helpful. Now, this uh, March, I just want to remind you that we are having a seminar on soul winning. I think... It could be when I say that, that what you think about is, <clears throat> this is going to be very technical and lofty, and I'm not sure that I want... No, it's not like that at all. Uh, this, this seminar is just wonderful. I know the man who does it, and it's utterly practical to make suggestions about, about things to say, things to, uh, places and things to talk about, and how you start a conversation, and, and then into how you have a Bible study with somebody... And it'll take away those fears that naturally accompany this thought if you're not used to it. And so we've got that coming up in March, and I really want you to make your plans to attend to be part of that. I'm so glad you were here today. I hope you'll remember this day warmly, and I hope you'll follow up with anybody who, who was contacted somehow through this day. And um, let's, let's do the best that we can for our Lord and for the cause. There's somebody here this afternoon who needs to obey the gospel or wants to obey the gospel. We, we would just so love to sit down and talk with you. I'll do it right now with you if you want to. 
if you'd like to talk about becoming a Christian, or if you've already been studying and you've made up your mind, that's what I want to do. I want to be a child of God. I want to obey the gospel today, right now. We'll just stop what we're doing and we'll take you to the water and we'll baptize you. The Bible says that a person to be a candidate for baptism needs to repent of his sins based on his belief, to repent of his sins and, and confess Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. And then to be immersed in water. And the Bible says it's in order to be saved. It is for the forgiveness of sins. And Acts 2 says that the Lord then will add you to his church. And I cannot imagine anything more important than that. And if you, if you want, want the prayers, if, you, if you'd like to ask for the prayers of the Christians today, now would be such a wonderful time to do that. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.